WXDX FM, Pittsburgh. Four o'clock hour of the Mark Madden Show is brought to you by 84 Lumber, helping you build the right way since 1956. I don't exactly have a long track record of rushing to the defense of Penn State coach James Franklin. Actually, I have zero track record of doing that. But I did today in the Pittsburgh Trib. As we posted Monday in the Trib in our first call section, CBS Sports Online anonymously polled what they claim to be about 25 NCAA Division I coaches for their opinions on various topics. One that was posted over the weekend was, who are the most underrated and overrated coaches in college football? To illustrate how inexact this science can be, three coaches, David Shaw of Stanford, Tom Herman of Texas, and Upper St. Clair product Kirk Ferentz of the University of Iowa, they got votes on both lists as overrated and underrated. So take it with a grain of salt. But Franklin tied Florida State coach Willie Taggart for the most votes in the overrated category. Honestly, my first inclination was to pile on and say, yeah, that's right, he is overrated. It would have made me feel good. It would have been wrong, though. First of all, you would need to clarify where Franklin is being rated among coaches to say that he's overrated. Like, top five? Top ten? If that's the case, then yeah, I'd agree. But I haven't seen his name pop up in a lot of rankings like that, have you? Furthermore, it's no small task to emerge from the end of those Sandusky-related sanctions and pick up the baton from what Bill O'Brien dropped in Happy Valley to, you know, move out from that enormous shadow of Joe Paterno. O'Brien got fed up with it and left. Went to the NFL. Franklin took the baton and has gone the next step better than I think many of us had a right to forecast. Back-to-back 11-1 seasons as the Sandusky penalties We're starting to fall away. That's an accomplishment, period. So is winning the 2016 Big Ten title. Still, even though Penn State is back to championship contention, it's not the kind of school that recruits itself like Alabama or Ohio State or Clemson. So Franklin deserves some credit to that end. Also, anyone who gets back-to-back nine-win seasons at Vanderbilt, it's never been done before, well, he must be doing something right. You must know a little something. If you look at the quotes from the other anonymous coaches, they largely had the tone of personal dislike more than professional dismissal. One guy said, James Franklin, his coaching peers know it. He's full of it. Another guy said, when Franklin got the Penn State job, I thought, man, he's a good marketer. He did a nice job with that. It'll be interesting without Saquon Barkley. He's underrated. Who underrated Saquon Barkley? When did that ever happen? But when I read full of it and marketer, eh, you know what? That sounds pretty familiar. That's a common gripe about Franklin amongst football fan bases that don't like Penn State, namely the rest of the Big Ten, Pitt, West Virginia, Notre Dame, just to name a few. I've often heard words like preening and phony and self-promoter used to describe Franklin. Now, to be clear, when I heard those words oftentimes they were coming out of my own mouth but you know based on the tone of those comments from other coaches i guess i wasn't too far off was i unless we want to start revising history until the middle of 2016 some penn state fans were beginning to say the same things now i know in pit circles 
there are frequent grumblings that when a recruit is up for grabs between the two schools, Franklin isn't afraid to use the occasional negative recruiting tactic. Oh, you, you don't want to go to Pitt. You, you know what's going on at Pitt. Like, Narduzzi's going to leave and go back to Michigan State. Dan Tony's going to retire in two years, and Narduzzi's going to be gone. You know that's going to happen. Like, I've heard that gripe before. And I'm sure that practice isn't limited to use against Pitt. Then again, are we going to act like nobody uses that against Penn State? Uses negative recruiting against Penn State? Of course not. But some others don't like Franklin in the coaching community, and based on the results, it appears that some don't, they'll act like he's the only one that does it. Like, what's funny to me is an easier case can be made against many of the other coaches mentioned in this story. Like, Willie Taggart getting the Florida State job? He's 47-50. and 50. Jimbo Fisher, his team's got worse every year after 2013 at FSU, and then he gets the richest coaching contract in NCAA history at Texas A&M. Lane Kiffin burns a bridge everywhere he goes and keeps getting work. Ference has two double-digit win seasons since 04, whereas Franklin has done it in each of the last two years. Yet Franklin is the one who's overrated? I mean, I say call James Franklin whatever you want. And apparently many are. But calling him overrated at this point in his career is just inaccurate. Penn State fans, Pitt fans, I want to hear from you on this. 412-333-9939. You throw Pat Narduzzi on that list a lot easier than I think you can James Franklin. Don't you think that? You know, the, the mantra over at Pitt is Narduzzi has him pointed in the right direction. He does. How is what happened last year the right direction? Are we still saying that because he got him to 8-5 and five the year before? Has he won a bowl game yet? Isn't he 0 for 2 in bowl games? 5-7 and seven last year? Is that the right direction? To me, the direction is, well, neutral isn't it a direction, but you know my point. That's where they are. They're just stuck in neutral. They're not going anywhere. Attendance, interest, talent, results. Everybody seems to think that, you know, Narduzzi's the guy. He's going to get it done. I think it's easier to make a case for Narduzzi being overrated than it is Franklin. Again, agree or disagree at 412-333-9939. So that's one thing I wanted to get into here in the 4 o'clock hour. Also wanted to get into the Steelers. And whether or not this notion that the Steeler defense is going to be worse than what we thought is real or hype. I I think it might be. But we can't tell that from what happened in Green Bay. Yeah, the defense was awful. It was responsible for 37 of the 51 points allowed. The tackling was poor. Even though it was supposed to be a point of emphasis in training camp, the angles taken to set up the tackles were just as bad. The only turnover created was a fumble recovery on special teams. Four Packer quarterbacks had a collective passer rating of 121.6. But we have to keep in mind that the defense took the field on Thursday without Watt, Hayden, Hayward, Hilton, or Davis. Now, surely they would have helped. If concerns over individual players or specific aspects of the unit are of top of mind to you, well, that I buy. Through training camp and preseason, there's reason to believe the inside linebackers are every bit the worry that we expected. The same can be said about outside linebacker depth. It appears Morgan Burnett is a long way from what they thought he would be as an immediate upgrade at safety. Uh, Javon Hargrave might have regressed or at least plateaued. That's why they're getting Dan McCullers more into the mix. But to assume the defense will be worse than last year based on just the performance of the grouping that you saw 
against the Green Bay Packers, that to me is inaccurate. That to me is hyperbole. Position by position, grouping by grouping, yeah. Just to make the blanket statement that they're going to be worse because of what you saw in Green Bay, that's going too far because you haven't seen the whole unit together yet. So while I think that's kind of hype, I think James Washington is real. I think all the excitement about him is legitimate. I think the fact that the uh, offensive line performed well in front of James Conner and that we can allay some fears about offensive line depth, I think that's real. And we're going to get into Connor a little bit more later on the show, but I do still think there's some hype about Connor. He's better. He's closer to what they drafted him to be. But this assumption now that he's going to take carries from Le'Veon Bell, that's not what the coaches were saying as recently as training camp in Latrobe. So Steeler calls. I want some as well when it comes to the defense and whether or not you think there's legitimacy or just hype to the level of concern over how bad the defense will be. 412-333-9939. to the Parkway we go and we talk to Mark. You're on 105 now on the X. Hi, Mark. Hey, I wanted to weigh in on the James Franklin thing. I think whenever you have an anonymous poll of coaches, there's a question behind the question. You're really not asking who's the most overrated. The guy gets a chance to take a shot and say, who do you think is the biggest jerk, or who do you dislike the most? And I think that's more of what this poll reflects, that maybe a lot of coaches don't like him. Um, I, yeah, yeah, I think you're right now. about that, Mark. No, I think that's a fair point. I think you're on target with your assessment. I think when it's anonymous, you at least get people to give opinions that they otherwise wouldn't give, but the logic behind their opinions can be flawed without follow-up questions, right? I mean, like, because right. I'm with you, and that's exactly what I wrote. That's exactly what I said here on the air today, that I think the reaction to Franklin from these coaches is more about, I don't like that guy, than it is, I don't think he's a good coach. And, uh, you know, I'll take it one step further. The Willie Taggart thing isn't so much about uh, overrated versus underrated. Is I think he got way too much of a promotion too fast, and you know what? I would also suggest that there's a racial component to that, that a lot of people think that he got to where he got to because there's an agenda being pushed because they're trying to get more high-profile African-American coaches into high-profile jobs across the country. Well, and with Franklin, I don't know, I mean, objectively trying to look at him, you know, it seems like he's gotten some good coordinators and let them do what they want to do. And he's a, yeah, he is a marketer and a salesman, but... He does get good recruits at the skilled positions. Uh, you know, it's up in the air as far as offensive and defensive line, whether he's getting what they need. But overall, I'd say he's been okay for them. I don't like Oh, better than okay. Place. Like I said, there's no small accomplishment. Thank you, Mark. There's no small accomplishment to underscoring what he did at Penn State coming out from the sanctions, back-to-back 11-win seasons, winning the Big Ten championship, etc. Ziangelo, go ahead. You're on 105.9 The X. Hi, how are you doing, sir? Hey, I have one question. If the Pittsburgh Pirates just keep losing games and losing games, do you think they will ever fire manager Clint Hurdle? Yes. I mean, this year, no. And I would suggest they'd have to go into a tailspin next year, midway in the season before they do that, because they've re-upped him. They consider him as much of a face of a franchise as anyone else. I don't see the Pirates being in a real hurry to pay a guy to do nothing, especially a manager. They don't like doing that with players, let alone a manager. 
I think it's going to have to go real bad. And I think you're going to have, you know what you're going to need for Clint Hurdle to be fired? More public recognition of what you heard yesterday during that interview with Greg Brown. I don't know if you heard that yesterday, but he got real snippy with Greg Brown during the network broadcast interview before the game. And that bluster that Hurdle has that sometimes comes off as charm and engagement, I find him to be charming and engaging sometimes in that context. If you talk to anybody in Colorado when things went bad, that turned into abrasiveness and a caustic attitude. And if that continues particularly with their own guys on their own broadcast, stuff like that, eh, that's when they might start to think twice, when public image comes into play too. 412-333-9939. All right, still to come in this hour, Stan Savern will join us from ESPN Pittsburgh and AT&T Sportsnet. We'll talk to him about the Pirates, Penn State, Pitt, and of course the Steelers. Also, Andy Benoit from SI thinks the Steelers are going to get further than they did last year. How much further and why, we explain next. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Hey, Mark. Hey. How you doing? How you doing, buddy? Let me check. Let me see what I'm wearing today. Yep, my shoes cost more than your house. The X at 105.9. NBA player Kenneth Fareed was charged with a misdemeanor possession of marijuana that's interesting to me because i actually thought it was a crime to be an nba player and not have any marijuana seriously if you saw this he was a passenger in a car and the car (laughs) blew through a twi checkpoint and apparently it was like the scooby-doo van like there's clouds coming strong odor of marijuana is how it was described but he was the passenger this wasn't like a uh you know mcknight road situation for lev bell so he was just in possession which I almost thought was a requirement in the NBA these days. 412-333-9939. Tip Ben's here with you in for Mark Madden on 105.9 The X. Thanks for tuning in. Stan Saverin in just a little bit from ESPN Pittsburgh. Going to get back to the phones as well. Uh, note here from Andy Benoit from <laughs> SI. Uh, just as we got done talking about how the Steelers' defense might be even worse than last year, Andy writes that the Steelers are actually going to be worse last, than last year, at least regular season-wise. He writes that they'll go 11-5. and five. I've got them at 10-6. and six. I've got them still winning the North. So Andy and I are pretty close to being in agreement there. But he says that they're going to beat the Patriots in the AFC Championship game and go to the Super Bowl. Now he's got the Falcons beating them in the Super Bowl. I think the Falcons are also going to win the Super Bowl. Speaking of teams that are good offensively but not great defensively, they haven't looked very good on D in the preseason either. Here's where his theory kind of falls apart, though. He's got the game, the final score, 27-24 Atlanta over Pittsburgh. Let me tell you something. If Atlanta plays Pittsburgh in the Super Bowl, it'll be 27-24 before the first dog commercial during the Super Bowl. Like, before the Pup Bowl starts. That's how much point. That will be like a 50-something to 50-something Super Bowl if those two teams play each other. Let's go to Derek, who's calling from Chester, West Virginia. Hi, Derek. Go ahead. You're on 105.9 The X. Hi. How you doing, Tim? Good. Uh, I wanted to talk about the uh, James Conner. I don't really believe that he would steal any carries from Le'Veon Bell. I think he's just there as a backup plan if Le'Veon Bell did get injured. I agree. Uh, I'm, I'm with you. And I think that, and thank you for the call, Derek, I think that's why there's a little bit of hype to what was coming out of the second preseason game, 412 
I, I do this after every preseason game for the trip. I kind of go through what we're what we're talking about, what we're hyping up too much, and what we actually see in the preseason as real. And I, I think the concerns about individual aspects of the Steelers' defense are real. The declaration that it's going to be even worse than last year, uh, that's hype. What we saw from James Washington, to me, that's real. What we saw from the improvement of James Conner, how he's running better, how he's faster, more explosive, more aggressive, all of that is real. But this notion that he's going to start taking carries from Lev Bell, that, to me, is hype. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Who knows, if he had been injury-free as a rookie, maybe we could have seen more of what we saw on Thursday night. 57 yards, 5 carries. For now, though, he's healthy. He's running through tackles. He's running past defenders. He's hitting daylight where it's there. He's even busting through face mask penalties. But we played the interview here one other day I was filling in for Mark. Randy Feetner, the offensive coordinator, has already said he's not going to use 2018 as a training ground for 2019 when it comes to Connor or any other running back as a potential replacement for Bell after the season. So expect Connor to merely relieve Bell on occasion and primarily be used in case of injury to Bell. And that's it. You know, the, else, the other encouraging thing that you saw there, there's some big holes for Connor. And credit to him for hitting him. Credit to him for exploiting him. But that made me feel better about the offensive line depth too. You know, Connor ran behind a line that didn't have Marquise Pouncey, didn't have Ramon Foster. Uh, later in the game, Okorafor played well in the time that he had before his shoulder got dinged up playing tackle. I'm a little concerned about that, depending on how his shoulder is. But, you know, the loss of Hubbard, the injury to Foster, made some of us panic about the offensive line depth. But, listen, so long as Mike Munchak is there with the Steelers, they will always be able to maximize snaps out of their reserve offensive linemen. Filer was good. Finney was good. I felt a lot better about what I saw from the depth of line. And I think that's closer to reality than fiction. When we come back, Stan Saverin joins us from AT&T Sportsnet and, of course, upstairs at ESPN Pittsburgh. Tim Ben's in for Mark Madden on 105.9 The X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Konnichiwa, bitches. Konnichiwa. Hi, Marco. I have some important questions for you. That right there, my friend, that's asking for trouble. The X at 105.9. Shenderovich, Shenderovich and Fishman giving you the 4 o'clock hour here of the Mark Madden Show. They've got your back, not your wallet. Stan Saverin joins me, Tim Benz, as I fill in for Mark right now. Stan, of course... From ESPN Pittsburgh and AT&T Sportsnet. You can hear him daily upstairs at ESPN Pittsburgh and check him out around Penguins and Pirates coverage on AT&T Sportsnet. Let's start there, Stan, with the Pirates. Word is now that Starling Marte had some sort of doctor's visit today uh, and is a question mark for the lineup. How much, if at all, do you think this is tied to his benching of yesterday? Well, I'm going to guess that the visit to the doctor somehow was related to a couch. <laughs> yeah. Because, or, or maybe uh, he's just so tired. He was just so tired from the effort that he gave trying to get up the first baseline, right? Well, isn't that what the, No, that's not what I meant. It, it, don't, don't psychiatrists always use couches? No, I, no, I get you. Okay. And yes, right. I, yeah, I think did. he's overdue for that kind of doctor's visit, Stan, and has been since he got in the league. How about you? Yeah, I just, um, I, you know, this the thing that bothers me the most, first of all, um, it's not like he's not a repeat offender. 
a couple of years ago. I can't remember exactly what season. Hurdle benched him for the exact same thing. I thought he was certainly well within his rights uh, doing it last night. I think the mistake he made, though, was using as a pinch hitter. If you're benched, you're benched. And I would have rather seen him use the 12th man in the bullpen to bat, if need be, before I would have used Starling Marte. In fact, given his track record, I would have yanked him from the game Sunday. I mean, there was no reason to keep him in the lineup um, at that point. Um, I thought that Hurdle um, uh, undermined his own message uh, by allowing him to pinch hit, whether the game was on the line or not. If players are mad because they didn't have their best players available, they shouldn't be mad at Hurdle. They should be mad at Marte. Uh, I think this can become pervasive. I think we've seen some of the same issues with Polanco. Um, I know that he didn't run real hard last night in the ball, but you know generally his play is picked up. But I do think that he follows Marte around. What they're going to do about it, I don't know. I think we can readily admit to him that Marte all around is their most talented player. There's no question about that. But also, by the same token, if you want to take the next step, you cannot have that. You cannot have that. Stan Saverin with us. Yes, Stan, I agree with your premise. I thought that he should have been pulled during the game. And to underscore your point even further, I think it weakens what Clint Hurdle tried to do by putting him into pinch hit. I would echo that. I also got the impression, didn't you, that Hurdle wasn't sold on even benching him for last night's game until there was fan and media blowback? I don't know. Um... Like what he said, like, I heard it from the fans. Like, Why does that even come into play? Uh, I mean, that, that, you know, that's a good question. Um, maybe to get the you know, point across to uh, Marte that these people gave him a break. Um, I remember the night he came back last year, Tim, after the suspension, and there was a smattering of booze, but it wasn't, you know, after the, uh, the, uh, uh, the steroid thing, performance enhancing, whatever he took, uh, and there was a smattering, but they forgave that, and they certainly, uh, it hasn't been mentioned once, not that I recall this year. I will say this, you know, whether the fan reaction uh, had anything to do with it or not, at the time that it happened, Hurdle went over to talk to Marte right in the dugout Sunday at the time. It wasn't like he waited and said, I think I'll see what the media says before I do something here. I mean, I think he took it under advisement. I think, frankly, though, the fan issue, I think he was using that as a tool to explain to Marte that you didn't want to do that, not in this town. Um, where you're having trouble, you know, selling tickets anyway and getting people reinvested if they ever were in the franchise. I don't think he was trying to, you know, dip his toe in the water and, and see how this would play. I think he was using it as a tool to help Marte understand. The problem that I have with all of this is threefold. Number one, uh, the issue itself, he's a repeat offender, we've seen it, and it even goes to the point where he would hit a, you know, like a pop fly ball, and he's dogging it to first base, ball falls in, he ends with a single, whereas if he would have been hustling with his speed, he's in second base with, with a double. Well, we've seen that far too often. The second thing was, when he addressed the media yesterday through the interpreter, he never once apologized and said, I was wrong. He said, oh, I revisited my mind. I was worried about getting hurt. I probably should have gotten in the rundown. Never once did he say, I was wrong, and I deserve to be benched. And then number three, he releases this tweet or was quoted in an article that was then tweeted out talking about, I love our fans, I understand their frustration, but please don't boo me. If you're trying to motivate me, that just brings us down. Booing doesn't help. Well, you know what? 
They won't boo you, for the most part, unless you're Sean Rodriguez for performance, but they won't boo you if you hustle. And it's not the fan's job to motivate him. It's his job to get the fans to support him. Well, it's not motivation, Stan. It's shame. They weren't booing him to say, hey, let's motivate Starling Marte here. They were mad. They were shaming him is what they were doing. Absolutely. And you know what, Tim? You know, we've covered games all over the country. That kind of thing doesn't play anywhere. But it certainly doesn't play well here, especially... When they've kind of, I don't want to say the fans cut the guy a break, but you know, they, I haven't heard anything. I don't know, maybe you have. People bringing up until today his suspension. Look, they weren't going to contend last year anyway, but certainly when he went out in late April, that ended any chance that they had. Um, he owes this organization, he owes the fan base, at least. If you're not going to hit, you're not going to, you know, that happens. You know, guys have bad years, they go into slumps, whatever, but the least you can ask a guy to do is to play hard. Stan, while we're getting you on the air here, and again, Stan Saverin joining us from ESPN Pittsburgh and AT&T Sportsnet, we have a, our first Steelers suspension of the year. It's Eli Rogers for one game under the league's substance abuse policy. It's, it's kind of a weird suspension for one game in a substance abuse matter, but we'll get more details, I'm sure, or wow. maybe we won't. But uh, he wasn't going to play anyway. He probably would have been on pop, I would have imagined, until at least week eight. Right, Stan? But again, it's just the latest in a chapter of turmoil for a team that doesn't want to refer to itself as Team Turmoil. Well, you know, here's a guy who is a complete free agent who's coming off uh, you know, an ACL injury, going through surgery and rehab. You'd think he'd want to put himself in the best possible position to get a job somewhere. Um, but you're right. Again, I, Tim, I don't know. Does, does, does that go into effect when he becomes healthy enough to play or comes off the pup list or does it just you know kind of get lost yeah i'm trying to figure that out right now stan according to what the statement was from kevin colbert it specifically said that he is suspended for week one and then he's eligible after week one but it doesn't say with any sort of caveat if he is placed on pup prior to week one so i gotta figure that part out well let me put it this way um Eli Rogers is not going to be the difference whether they do or do not win a Super Bowl. No, he might not be the difference between whether or not they, I don't know, have a lead against the Browns at the end of the first quarter, which, by the way, Stan, I'm not convinced that they will. I don't know if you saw the story that came out uh, today about how much money is being thrown down on the Browns in Vegas. but And I get that's kind of a different thing. It's people trying to play the margins more than anything else. But people are buying into the Browns. Yeah, I don't know. Um, you know, how many degrees of horrible um, are there? Um, I, you know, again, I, I expect them to be approved, but again, one is greater than zero. So does that represent the definition of improvement? I do think they'll be better. Uh, I, you know what? I honestly think that they played, if this is possible, below their talent level last year, and I think a lot of that has to do with coaching. You, have, you look back at them, and they were in a lot of ball games mid-late third quarter. Now, they're limited, uh, but I also think that they're limited in coaching. Uh, I think sometimes, you know, coaching is not going to take a four-win team and make it a 12-win team, but really good coaching, uh, if a team is close and they're undermanned, you know, they can get you over the hump, you know, to win two, three games, and otherwise, under bad coaching, which I think they have, uh, losing those same games. Stan, I wanted to get your opinion on the helmet rule and the debate surrounding it. We're getting Mike DeCourcy on the show a little bit later on today. He is the one guy that I have found that is in favor of the helmet rule. 
What are your thoughts about it? Make it two. You like it, huh? Absolutely. Uh, I am all for player safety. Uh, and, and I think uh, if you go to a football game, you see plenty of hard, violent hits that don't involve the head. You can get some really, if this is what you want, some really good hits with solid shoulder tackles. I, I, I don't feel like I've been cheated if I don't see anybody carried out in a stretcher. I don't feel like I've been cheated if I don't see a headshot uh, at a game. I see plenty of really solid contact made with the shoulder. Now, having said that, there are two different arguments here. I am in favor of the rule. I was in favor of the helmet-to-helmet rule. Here's where I have a problem with the NFL. And you think that they would have learned when they failed to implement the helmet-to-helmet rule in 2012. You'll remember, Tim, the reason that all came about, there was a game, Philadelphia Eagles. One of their linebackers, his name escapes me, uh, was hit. He got his bell rung big time. He wobbled off the field. The Philadelphia physicians claimed that they were busy attending to another injured player. So here comes the line, send him back in. He comes back onto the field, and he goes to the opposing team's huddle. He had no idea where he was, and that created the uproar. That's when you began to have independent observers in the press box and on the field, and a couple of weeks later, you had the helmet-to-helmet rule. The problem that they had, you remember James Harrison defying it and all that kind of stuff with the hits in the Cleveland game uh, against Colt McCoy and and, um, Josh Cribbs, uh, and he kept on doing it. But the problem was they instituted it in a week's time, and no one, not even the officials, knew exactly how to call it. Once the players got used to it after about three, four weeks, there was only one more helmet-to-helmet penalty. That came in the playoffs to Julius Peppers, who was then playing for the Bears. Players will adjust. You think they would have learned. Here's my objection. Okay. What they Hold thought. on, Stan. Can I, can I just slow you down for one second there? Because when you said they will adjust, I think part of the reason, specifically in that Mercedes Lewis, Cody Sensabaugh, Morgan Burnett play, part of the reason you saw a flag there is that they were trying to adjust. They're still trying to adjust to the helmet rule, so they lowered their helmet to lower their shoulder into Mercedes Lewis, which they both did accurately, and they got flagged anyway. There there are so many cases where you can't do both. You can't avoid the head without lowering your helmet to avoid the head. It's flawed, and there was another play over the weekend where a running back lowered his shoulder and helmet, which, by the way, is supposed to be a penalty, and the defender had to go lower to take him down, he got called. It's a flawed rule, Tim, but I also think that you err on the side of caution. My problem with the NFL is that now they announce, after all the controversy with the hit in the Minnesota game, which did look like a horrible call. Uh, which one? Yeah, okay. Now that now they say, well, we're going to put out a video for players, coaches, team executives, and officials this coming week so that everybody can see. My question is, this rule was passed late last year. This should have been available to everybody at OTAs. 
so that everybody could have... Now, well, yeah, see, that's the problem with that standard. I know why they're doing it, because they're trying to now tell the refs, okay, guys, you're going overboard, but how can you blame the refs when they've gotten so spooked into doing exactly what you're saying they should do, which is error on the side of caution? Now they're throwing flags for stuff they think they saw. They're basically throwing flags to cover their own asses, and well, that's the problem. That's all, but, you know, frankly, that to a large degree, that's always been the case since uh, replay came in. They can always be corrected, and I don't want to see replay used for this, but I remember distinctly the same thing happened, and I'm telling you, from about the early portion of November, after they instituted that helmet-to-helmet, there was only one more 15-yard penalty called at that point. It's going to be an adjustment period. My objective to the NFL is, now they're putting together a video. This should have been available in OTAs, so the teams could have studied it, the officials could have studied it, and it could have been shown throughout training camps before anybody played a preseason yeah. game. Yeah, Stan, I, I appreciate your point, and I agree with it. I don't need to see carnage to feel satisfied either. Right. I don't use the word gypped. I don't feel gypped if no one is getting taken off on the stretcher. I do feel gypped when I see players do things legally and get flagged anyway, like we've seen in these two games. Those are calls that aren't made last year. Well, I mean, it's a flawed rule, and it's going to take some time to sort all that kind of thing out. Again, I think when you look at your alternatives then I think you've got to go, at least I feel, you've got to go in this direction. And there are, you know, people, you know, somebody sitting out in there, you know, uh, you know, wife beater undershirt, drinking eight beers uh, in Blonox or someplace, you know, put skirts on them. Um, I, I, I don't buy that. Um, my, my attitude toward that changed a number of years ago, and I, I've told this before, there was a, a, a segment on 60 Minutes. And they were interviewing John Mackey. And for those not young enough to remember, one of the greatest tight ends who have ever played the game for the Baltimore Colts. He was 55 years old, in a wheelchair, drooling into a cup. Uh, and I thought, there's got to be a better way. And again, I don't, I, like you say, I don't feel gypped. I think there's plenty of hard hits in football. I think this is something, and I admit, I admit, Listen, this is self-preservation for the NFL. They're not all that concerned about the players' health and safety. They're concerned about litigation. Yeah. That's what they're yeah, worried that's about. That's what this is. They might as well have said, hey, number 56 on Minnesota, you're getting penalized for putting the NFL at risk for a lawsuit. That 15 was, yards. I, by the way, I credited you with that tweet. That was great. I thought it was very funny. Well, I, <laughs> I liked it. I hit, I hit like on it. But, I, yeah, I mean, that, that's a big part of it. But whatever it takes. I mean, I don't feel like the game is sissified. Oh, I'm not watching. You know, I saw one guy tweet, there's no NFL in my household. Well, do you watch college football? Yeah, because they got the targeting rule. Right. But you know what? Like, It's funny, Stan, and I'll wrap up on this point because we're up against it, but in a weird way, and I've said this from Jump Street, uh, when they put the implementation in place before camp, uh, when they started talking about it back in March, that I think the NFL is going to have to have a crisis point moment with the helmet rule as it did with Jesse James and the catch rule last year. I think we're going to need to see that. Unfortunately, I think it's going to impact a game. It might be the Steelers again, but we're going to have to see that before the NFL realizes that you have to go back to more of a I'll know it when I see it mentality. It's counterintuitive to say this because you're creating gray area by saying that. But at this point, I think creating the gray area actually eliminates some of the questions. I mean, I think I think that's a val valid point. And I think the only way to get to that would be in such instances, then make that reviewable. 
Now, that's going to send a lot of people screaming, running for the exits, but that's the one way to increase the fairness level of it because it happens fast out there. Look, I'm not an uh, official's apologist. It happens really fast. They're big, strong, fast people. Uh, and the, the only way to ensure what you're suggesting, Tim, to do the best you can for safety but also for proper calls is to make it reviewable. Stan, thanks. Appreciate the time. We'll do it again soon, I hope. All right, Tim, absolutely. That is Stan Savern from ESPN Pittsburgh as well as AT&T Sports Net. Tim Benz with you in for Mark Madden. Two guys like the helmet rule. Mike DeCourcy, another guy from Pittsburgh. You'll hear our interview with him that I did for the Trib. Also with today's show in mind here on 105.9 The X that's coming up at 5. Bob McLaughlin next. Among other topics, we talk about Richie Incognito going nutso at his dad's funeral, threatening the funeral home workers, and that Post Malone flight, which did land, right? Good. That's coming up next. Air Israel, clear the runway. 105.9 The X. Jolly Rancher. The X at 105.9. It is the Mark Madden Show, and we are brought to you by 84 Lumber, helping you build the right way since 1956. Bob McLaughlin joins me right now, as he always does at this time with Mark. Thanks for finding us today. And, Bob, lots to talk about here, including Eli Rogers getting suspended while on pup. Even the guys who can't play are getting themselves suspended for substance abuse now. (laughs) Well, at least they have a good stable of wide receivers no matter what happens with Eli. Um, I think that you've seen Washington going to be a solid contributor to that. And, you know, never mind what's going on with Martavis out there in silver and black land. He can't get it together. We don't have to worry about him anymore. Um, I mean, Eli's going to make the team, I think, but... I don't think he was ever going to be part of their big-time plan. So. Yeah, and even if he were to be on PUP for eight weeks and then they held him out for an extra ninth, it's not that big of a deal. It's just the greater picture, Bob, that, again, after an entire training camp of them saying, we don't have distractions, yeah. uh, we are not team turmoil, for the suspended, meaningless guy that they worked so hard to bring back, which they did, they didn't have to do this, he goes out and gets his ass suspended. Yeah, and to put it simply, I mean, you're going to hear this all over the Pittsburgh area today, you know, about this Steeler way. Um, getting suspended for that stuff, that's kind of the Steeler way over the last number of years. I mean, not by everybody, of course. I hear he was driving the car with Kenneth but, Fareed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I knew he wasn't late for a game, though, so we don't have any problem with that. Um, if this is marijuana, but, we don't know what it is, but if this is marijuana, the least surprising thing in the world is that Eli Rogers smokes marijuana. Do you think it's that? Based on like some of his tweets and some of his sound bites about the alternative universe and all right, that? Right. He he is a bit out there. But do you think it's that or do you I think it's, it's something for him to try and get healthy again, trying to come back a little bit stronger because of maybe competition at wide receiver? Yeah, like some sort of uh, performance-enhancing drug to come back. Something wouldn't wouldn't right. it be four games then, though? I think it would be four games, yeah, right? I, but like one, always, where does one game come from? Exactly. There's always that thing about, look, we tested and we didn't find anything, but he was missing a whole bunch of this stuff. I was going to say, maybe he's been popped before and he missed an appointment. I yeah. hear that's a real problem within the They just can't get to their appointments, Bob. Yeah, right. Traffic was, around here is a real bear this you time You know, of if year. you show up for that test at 4.37 in the morning, I'm still going to be playing <laughs> Fortnite, and I'm not answering the damn door. Uh, now, what are you watching on Twitter? What are you keeping track of on Twitter now that the concern over Post Malone has come and gone? Yes, the the world is still, there is Post in the Post Malone world. Uh, he's landed safely. The tires 
weren't as blown out as everybody thought. He, he taking off from New Jersey, they thought the two tires had totally blown out. But what would you do in that situation? Seriously, if you were my advice to you would be to be start drinking heavily. <laughs> if I'm on the plane, if you're on the plane and you hear, "Hey, I think we can land." Like, what do you start doing? Do you well, call, do you call, do you text, do you write your will, do you write your memoirs? Who do you write first? Wife, kids? Oh, wife. Yeah, absolutely. Wife or there's, you know, I then I wouldn't want to land. <laughs> you know, if if she found out I got in touch with somebody else first, um, but yeah, I would do the wife and kids, then move on to the parents and the extended family. Um, and after that, if we had enough fuel to fly around for a day, you know, Irish Catholic, um, then I'd eventually, I mean, at some point the plane is coming down, whether you've got done what you want to get done or not, the plane's coming if down. If you had crashed instead of post Malone, do you think your son would have gone Richie incognito at the funeral home? Oh my gosh. How about that? Yeah. Um, well, one thing I, I will say this. Kudos to the pilot for circling for quite a while and burning off all the extra fuel so that when they did land and if they did crash, it wasn't going to be one of those, you know, those training videos that you see or those test videos where all of a sudden there's a plane and two seconds later there isn't. Um, I I don't know where Newburgh is exactly. That's kind of inland, isn't it? uh, I don't know. That's not Long Island. I, I watched it live. But was I, there water anywhere in the picture? No, I didn't see any water in the so picture. So it's just circling over land. Exactly. Well, like they were they were circling over land the whole time and then came back in. They they took off in New Jersey and landed in New York. So they just flew around in a bunch of circles. Look, kids, Big Ben Parliament, you know. <laughs> um, but getting back to the Richie Incognito thing, if I was to go down in the plane and my son was at the, uh, the mortuary, I think yeah. it was. Was I don't getting think embalmed or something. The dad, uh, they, something there. I guess they were going over the plans on. I ha- told you, white pocket square. <laughs> right. Well, that's not my dad. No. <laughs> but they said his threat to the uh, people working there was they had guns out yes. in the trunk, right, and that he was going to shoot them up because he got angry with them over some of the business dealing with them. Uh, I mean, I know you're upset. Maybe you don't take. Oh, he's, the... just, he's off his meds. Yeah, that, yeah, that's. I'm off my meds and nothing else. I'm just disappointed. He probably won't run for Congress. As they say to him, I think the cheese has slid off his cracker. When we come back, speaking of that, we found two guys that actually like the helmet rule. Bob, I didn't know that was coming. Stan Saverin and Mike DeCourcy both in favor of it. I thought Mike was the only one. We'll hear from him next in 30 seconds here on 105.9 The X.